welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name is Shane Brennan and I'm the Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation and the host of this podcast. It's been a little while since the last one. I've actually been on holiday for a couple of weeks. It's August right now in 2022 um, and proper first holiday since the COVID period. I think a lot of people are going through that this summer and certainly in the UK there's a bit of a hiatus feel to the kind of current events even if there are some looming issues that are starting to really exercise everyone's minds and it's starting to realise just how tough this winter is going to be. It's going to be so tough for domestic consumers, dealing with the significant increase in energy costs, and a lot of conversation about what the new Prime Minister, when they take office, is going to do about helping the poorest in our society to deal with that. The thing that's missing from that conversation almost entirely is a conversation about the impact on business, and particularly the impact on uh, operations like cold storage and cold chain operations and our customers who are facing rampant price inflation and really not finding any solutions to how we can absorb those costs. So I think as we get into the autumn, we start talking about what is the support package coming in for uh, domestic consumers. We need to be reminding government about the impact on business and the indirect effects of that cost inflation on those same consumers. However, I'm not optimistic we're going to see significant intervention that's going to help us in that time. So we really have to be thinking about how we're going to look after ourselves, how we're going to drive down our energy use through smarter uh, management strategies, how we look at the opportunities for investment in better technologies or more efficient technologies, how we understand those, those elements, as well as how we talk to our customers about the need for change. So that's a bit of a sort of worrying kind of situation. But actually, I'm also filled with optimism. Coaching Federation is entering into the autumn with a, a really exciting program. We're now only a few weeks away from the Cold Chain Live conference, and we've got such a great program. It's already pretty much sold out. There are a small handful of tickets left if you, uh, if you want to get in touch about that. Um, packed couple of days, talking about the real, really thought-leading agenda, talking about the issues that really matter, a chance to really sort of put our heads together around the challenges ahead. So on to today's podcast. This is one that's been a long time in the offing, um, someone who I've worked very closely with ever since I pretty much first arrived into this role, um, and that's Paul Burnell, the Managing Director of Samworth Brothers Supply Chain. I'm delighted to say that Paul was elected by our annual general meeting to be the Vice President of the Federation at this May's AGM. And that means that he is going to be a crucial part of helping me to deliver what this organisation needs to deliver for our members into the next phase of our activity. And Paul is a very thoughtful, uh, committed, experienced logistics professional. He certainly helped me to understand the dynamics of operating within the chilled supply chain and specific challenges that faces and within those transport operations of which um, you'll potentially be familiar, those, those very distinctive cream, often double-decker trailers that Samworth Brothers all around the major motorway network, servicing our retailers with the range of high-quality products from Samworth Brothers, in this conversation, we get to talk to Paul about how he's taken Samworth Brothers Supply Chain through its journey over the last eight years, talking specifically about how the business coped with COVID, how it deals with its employees, and also talks about some of those regulatory challenges that he's certainly worked very closely with me on in the past uh, few years. It's hard to underestimate the importance of people like Paul and the other members of the board and the other highly engaged members to the success of an organisation, success for me personally of doing the job that I'm trying to do on behalf of the industry. I don't have a background in logistics. I'm learning as I go. I have the privilege of being brought into uh, a number of businesses' confidence at senior levels, 
and I get to understand kind of compare and contrast um, as an observer, but I am not a practitioner. So it's people like Paul and others that help me to understand what the reality is for these regulatory challenges that we face and give me the ammunition I need to be able to be an effective advocate for you um, and Tom Southall as well as we try and uh, establish this growing voice which we, which we have um, for the cold chain in the UK. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to the recording of my conversation with Paul Bernal. Hello, Paul, and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. Good afternoon, Shane. Delighted to be here at Oak Meadow, somewhere I've been a three or four times before. It's yes. always very striking when you come in here, very well-presented building and all those vehicles that you have that are so distinctive. So it's great, it's great to be at this facility. How long have you guys been here? Uh, nearly nearly five years. Um, yes, we're hugely proud of um, the facility and, and the investment the group's made. Um, and, our, and our fleet, our distinctive uh, 240 trailers out there on the road that we try and maintain and um, keep as the, as the pride of the industry. That's what we hope for anyway. Many people who work in the cold chain industry obviously are very familiar with you as a business, but can you just sort of explain how Samworth runs supply chain fits into the wider group that Samworth, that is Samworth Brothers? Yes, certainly. Uh, Samworth Brothers supply chain um, do deliveries for all of the Samworth Brothers business. Um, the supply chain itself turns over about £70 million a year. Uh, the group turns over £1.4 billion. It's a larger business than, than people realise. Um, it is uh, mainly a private label business, doing an awful lot of work with uh, the major retailers. Uh, but we do own a couple of brands that people may have heard of. Soreen, based up in uh, Trafford Park in Manchester, um, and also the Ginsters brand, obviously based down in Cornwall. Um, but it's, it's a food manufacturing business with a reputation for quality, and we extend that quality ethos into what SBSC does. But we also work for the external market, so a third of the pallets that go on SBSC's vehicles are for the external market and for different, both small and large food manufacturers who have the same retail customer base. So how long have you been in position as the MD of Samworth Brothers? I've been MD of uh, Samworth Brothers Supply Chain since December 2014, so not far off eight years now, so uh, quite a long time. I've seen a lot of a lot of change and a lot of challenges. And how would you define the challenge that you took on originally and how has it evolved? I took on a business that was operationally doing a fantastic job but had outgrown its facilities. And whilst our site in Leicester is only one of four operational bases, it was very much our, our hub. And to support the business, not only through the year in terms of chill food distribution, but also to support quite a significant Christmas peak, we needed to build a facility that had frozen storage case of capability and the ability to blast, freeze and temper, as our volumes at Christmas more or less double what we do the rest of the year. So that's probably the biggest change uh, that we've seen. Other than that, it's just been um, the ability to use the facility that we've got here to actually go out more to the external market, bring in complementary work um, for the benefit of, of our organisation. And how many people work here at the facility? 
Based here at Oak Meadow in Leicester, we've got about 450 people. Uh, the business-wide SBSC is about 650. We have an outbase in Penrith. We have a shared facility in Bristol. And we obviously operate out of Callington in Cornwall, which is where our Ginsters, band, uh, Ginsters brand is based. Big fan of the Ginsters brand, personally. <laughs> My physique sort of, you know, would, 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 would think, tell that story. I think everybody likes, everybody likes, everyone likes pastry. And so... How's the last couple of years or three years been for, for you as a business? We talk a lot on this podcast about the experience of the COVID and the situation. How, did, how does that play out for, for Samworth Brothers? Uh, for Samworth Brothers, uh, we've effectively got four categories. Um, we've got our, our sandwich business, our food-to-go business, effectively. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a pastry business, we've got a meats business, and we've got meals. And each of those categories um, had different experiences through that time. Um, clearly there were some categories where the market considerably softened. A lot more people either locked down or working from home impacted sandwich sales. Uh, but on the other side of that coin, we did see a lot more scratch cooking, which helped other areas of the business. But it was clearly a challenging time and a a challenging position with our large food manufacturing bakeries in terms of making sure that we had work for people through that period. And from the point of view of this team here at Oak Meadow, how did, how did you sort of, how did, how did it get through it, you know, in terms of the, the team working ethic and, 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 and just generally, would anyone go on furlough or how did you operate things from that point of view? Yes, unfortunately we did do a, an element of furloughing um, of non frontline colleagues. Uh, we had a level of absence um, very similar to the rest of the industry but also a volume drop and the volume drop and the absence were similar so it's it helped from that point of view. We didn't find that we had more work than we had colleagues to be able to do the work. It was tough like any, any business in logistics a lot of your costs are either fixed or semi-fixed, and when your revenue drops, it becomes a considerable challenge. So it was a very tough time. And the other obvious piece is that, you know, the rules around social distancing, etc. Uh, like a lot of businesses, we reacted quickly, but you were learning on the fly about about keeping people safe with constant new advice. And did. Um would you say that the COVID phase is now over in terms of how you're, the business you're doing, the forecasting that's going on, the, the way in which you're supporting the, the supply chain, or are we still sort of feeling the after effects? I think from the market we face, I think we're still feeling the after effects. In terms of the business itself, uh, we still, we're still very cognizant of it. Um, we still know where we are, but it's not becoming the biggest disruptive influence uh, that we face as a group. And in terms of the operational challenges you're dealing with today, obviously I immediately think of you know cost inflation and generally playing out acro across the piece, but how would you sort of characterize the sort of ability to keep the job going right now in terms of, in terms of the management challenge you face? Well, I think in inflation is, is front and center. It's not only front page of the papers but it's a considerable challenge for 
for our businesses and, and the retailers we face. I think attracting and retaining quality colleagues um, in a market is becoming very tough. Uh, fortunately, as a group, we um, the benefits package around our colleagues and the quality of the facilities and the way we like to treat people as a, as a genuine family um, means that I think we do better than most. And that really comes through to me. I think, you know, whenever we engage with the Samworth Brothers supply chain business and general business, you do get that sense that this is, is a community of, you, know, you value your employees, you, you, you think about things in the round, you sort of consult quite carefully with, with particularly with drivers and just generally with colleagues around, around how to do things. And that has obviously paid dividends, I think, hasn't it, during the last, last few months in terms of the tougher market? It has. And, you know, if you go back to March, April time last year, obviously with the change in the IR35 rules, um, you know, the, the supply of agency dropped considerably or became incredibly expensive. And as we know from what you've done, Shane, you know, there was a lot of drivers lost to the market or um, gone home back to Eastern European, Eastern European countries didn't return. What it made us do was focus incredibly well on reminding people of what they had in Samworth Brothers, um, how we treated them, the benefits around the job. And we did lose some, uh, but I tell you what, we gained an awful lot more than we lost and we've, we've kept an awful, awful lot of those. And we have had colleagues that have, have left and gone to other organisations, and I've welcomed back a good half dozen in the last few weeks, uh, which shows that what we're doing here is right on balance in terms of the overall role that they do. Paul, you recently, um, obviously you joined the board um, two years ago. So one of the, I was really heartened that you know we met um, when I first started, and. Um, and you were a member of the, the FSTF as we were then, and you know we, we sort of got to know each other a bit. And I was the fact that you sort of saw in in us uh, something that you felt you wanted to get involved in in terms of joining the board and stuff was one of the early signals to me that we were on the right track. So it's great to, to have you on board. Since you've been on the board and been involved, what what do you think of the the value is of of uh, organisations like Coltrane Federation to to you to you as individual and also as as Samworth as a business. I think for Sunworths as a business, particularly SBSC, it raises our profile. As I said, we've a third of our business in terms of pallets is, is the external market. We've also got in this facility um, something industry leading in terms of blast freezing and tempering. Yet if we used it just for Sunworth Brothers business, it wouldn't be full all year. So it's helped us uh, attract and retain great external customers whose peaks and troughs are complementary to Samworth Brothers to really leverage that. On a personal basis, um, you know, I, I found out about the Cold Chain Federation when uh, you guys held a board meeting here, uh, probably going back three years. Um, became interested in what it was about, where it was going, saw an emergence away from pure frozen distribution into the whole area of the cold chain, not, not only food but medicine and other things as well. And it's, it's interesting and, and fun to be part of industry peers discussing and challenging each other on the topics of the day and then 
from those topics today, deciding where we can help engage with government and, and, and lobby for pieces that need to be reviewed and changed. And I think the whole, the whole piece together, um, culminating with the fantastic celebration of the Cold Chain event at, at, at Parliament in June, um, really showed me I, I was part of something. And so to go from being a director on the board from April 2020 to um, delighted to be in the lecture as vice president was, was exciting. And I'm, I'm very excited about the next couple of years. Yeah, and you talk about you know, the importance of getting together to discuss topics and, and issues of, of... We haven't been short of issues to be working on, have we? And <laughs> I think you've certainly helped me to make sure the Cold Chain Federation is thinking about transport operations. I know you, this business does both, and you've brought, you run a very lot of substantial storage operation as well as transport operation. But I think lots of businesses are characterised. I think I tend to see businesses characterised one way or the other and where their centre of gravity is. And I think transport feels like the centre of gravity that sort of, 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 of how you see the world. For SBSC as a business, transport is definitely the centre of gravity. It's, it's more than 80% of, of what we do and um, filling the pallets and filling the trucks um, both ways, you know, to customers and back is absolute priority to make sure, make sure the numbers work. The warehouse operation has fantastic technical capabilities um, and it's very much about flowing stock through. Our stock holding is virtually zero. Flowing stock, stock through and making sure those trucks are efficiently managed. And from the point of view of, and you know, tr running a truck fleet is difficult and challenging at any time. It's particularly challenging at the moment with fuel price inflation and the like. But also, it's a controversial area, you know, in terms of policy. Lots of discussion and lots of opinions about operating fleet and operating operating heavy goods vehicles and the like. Obviously, we've worked a lot together on issues around sustainability and mm. issues around efficiency. And so, from your point of view, how as a business are you looking at how you can be as efficient as possible? with the, particularly the emissions you're putting out from your fleets and that kind of thing. What have you looked at in terms of opera, from an operational point of view in that, in that regard? Well, we've been doing quite a lot of work the last couple of years. The other piece that made us uh, really sit up and think about it, as well as the environmental impact, was the change in the red diesel taxation from April this year. We could suddenly see a significant part of our cost base that was suddenly going to attract another 60p a litre of duty and it focused us significantly on how we use that red diesel when it needs to be used um, with examples being obvious pieces about um, being knowledgeable of the ambient temperature in terms of your, your use of fridges and whether they're on constant or what's called century cycle effectively stop start also the use of DP doors, um, partition doors that retain the temperature as we're loading. So we've done a lot of work there and made some significant strides in terms of the management of that. The other obvious piece, both the units and the trailers, is keeping abreast of operating efficiently. You know, we know a diesel unit pushes out about 150 tonnes of carbon every year. LNG units will save you about 20%. And then the world of electric, electric trucks and potentially um, hydrogen are coming down the road, but the infrastructure is, is very immature. And on the trailer side, there are a number of options on the market, but um, 
I think even the manufacturers would realise they're at pretty early stages. We're, we're not certain if we're investing in Betamax with VHS around the corner for those old enough to remember. And so there's selective investment there. You've got you know, hydrogenated vegetable oil as another alternative using the existing kit. So it's making sure that you're on the shoulder of the technology, you're challenging yourself on doing the right thing as a business. Sandwich Brothers is passionate about being a responsible business. And I'm fortunate that we are well supported in a well-invested site, but also given support to make the right decisions in terms of investment on, on fleet. But it is not easy, and you don't want to be left with stranded assets on your fleet that your successor is then dealing with and wondering why you made those questions. It is a constant challenge at the moment, and other than inflation, is very high on my agenda. Yeah, and um, I think you've characterised there very, very succinctly the 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 sort of the, oper the the difference between the right ambition and tensions, and trying to find the right solution, trying to problem solve in these areas, and the, just the, the complexity of of the, of, of the different factors you've got to got to, got to weigh in in how to and how to make investments choices and the like and I really struck by what you just said about the most efficient thing you can do is to not run empty so find ways to be as, as efficient with your load Absolutely. as possible um, and I think that's somewhere where that's where the confluence of really smart business practice comes together with being efficient it's not you know if it was if it was easy we would all, everyone would be doing it immediately wouldn't they um, do you think that there are uh, ways in which the Industry can be smarter about how it does that kind of thing, how it reduces empty running, how it how it how it becomes more efficient, how it uses that utilizes assets. I don't know. It's a tough balance, and you know, we we make sure with significantly high percentages that our vehicles are full both ways. But there's also a timing element because. Mm -hmm. Not only do you want to make sure your vehicles are filled both ways, you also want to make sure that they're being used as much as you can 24-7. And if you look out the window there, Shane, we've got 82 units based at this site. Um, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, there's about 5 outside. So there is a balance between filling the trailer, but you also need to get the unit back. And yeah. both of those are the, the two that you wrestle with in order to run an efficient fleet. I could divert off my trailer for an extra two hours, pick up five more pallets, but then I need to run another unit because the unit's not back. I think that's something you've really sort of helped me to properly understand, and I'm still, I'm still learning, I'm always learning, about this, the important, how the chilled supply chain in particular, which I know you do both, but chilled chill is a very big part of, of what you do is about that availability, making sure the retailers have got the goods when they need them. And actually, you've got to think about these things in the round. And it, you know, making sure the goods are there on time and there aren't any sort of holes in that supply chain are really important from the point of view of food waste and making sure the right stuff's in the right place at the right time. So mm. again, another balancing act that we're always dealing with every from day to day. It is, and you know, any good operator will balance those two um, to make sure it works. We are, the vast majority of what we do is chill. Um, and it may well be different in a, in a frozen environment or in an ambient environment. And we saw early on in COVID that um, 
there's an element within the ambient network you can say I tell you what we won't we won't run for a couple of days and then we'll build up the volume and then we'll send it I, I can't do that with sandwiches yeah. um, it simply doesn't work and being on time for the retailers is of paramount importance to them because they want to flow that stock through to the shelf uh, get it fresh on the shelf and minimize waste and that's that's the the that's what we work together to achieve yeah. um, one of these the work that we've done together, you talked about Red Derve earlier in terms of the, the impact of, of government policy on, on operations and, and how that taxation decision has a significant operational impact on the, the challenges that we face operationally. But also we've done some work together, I know, and you've helped me very much with our work around go urban government policy, policy of city governments and policy of, of, of national governments around emissions in cities and the like. And one of the things that was really striking was we're up against quite a significant scrutiny of what's coming out of the, the vehicle engines or the, the fridge engines that we, that we operate mm -hmm. and, and, and how they are seen as contributing to the problems of urban pollution. I think one of the pieces of work that you did for me, which I thought was really striking, was showing how little large trailers operate in urban environments, you know, in the, in the large, in the, I mean, can you explain a bit more about how that, how that works in terms of the analysis you did? Absolutely. I mean, if you take the main retailers and food service depots in the UK, you're talking of the order of about 230, 250. The vast majority are within one to two miles of a major motorway junction. There are clusters of them in certain parts of the country. And even those that aren't um, right next to the motorway are of the dual carriageway. We are not in general as an industry driving articulated fridge trailers into, into major cities. The, the vast majority of the onward deliveries into those areas um, is on vehicles that have a, a ba better opportunity to become electric quicker because your you know your your fridge is attached to your um, engine you're not operating as separate units and trailers so I think you know 97% I think was the number mm. um, of what I believe are major Arctic chill movements are, are being done on the major motorways and you know the, the low emission zones the industry is working with a lot of the new Euro engines achieve those and actually the newer diesel engines emissions versus the ones of five, ten years ago are, are, are hugely improved and you know any fleet operator, you know we talk about carbon and 150 tonnes of truck but any fleet operator the main thing they're driving is, is miles per gallon and we've all got advanced telematics, we all know who's looking after the vehicle and who isn't and um, that drives the numbers and drives carbon. So no, I, I, think, I think you're right, Shane. I don't think additional legislation on articulated vehicles is, is where to go to stop emissions into urban areas. It's about working with the government to make sure that we get the right support, investment, grants to help us as an industry move away from, uh, move away from diesel. And that is, that is not easy. They are assets that you depreciate over a number of years. Yeah. 
And I think I think the thing that struck me in the work we've done on that in that area of policy is that you know our job is to make sure that we're not sh shouting against the intention, which is to improve air quality in urban areas, and to reduce carbon emissions from from, from supply chain operations. It's about doing it in a way that is about working with the business problem solving and bringing them together the, the, the efficiencies, whether it's efficiency of load fill, whether it's efficiency of using the right assets in the right locations. It's about planning those things and thinking of things from a point of view of, of achieving those different objectives in the most effective, balanced way. And we can only do that, I think, by, um, by, 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 by leading that conversation, by thinking about these things and showing that we understand the challenge and we're not just fighting against it, we're looking for constructive ways I, to deal with it. I think absolutely, and you know, going back on the Red Dirve thing, the, the change that we've made, and we're only part like, part way through, um, we've saved a third of the diesel on our fleet that we were using on the fridge trailers. What's brought that about? A realisation of a huge additional cost that was coming our way. So clearly there is, is and has been an opportunity in the industry. And I always think our interaction with government should be about um, letting them understand how the industry works, what drives the industry, what are the key pieces that we do, but also where they can support them and, and choosing our, our discussions and lobbying wisely to hit the right areas that are specific to the Cold Chain Federation. Yeah, so um, delighted that, you do, that you've uh, put yourself forward and been elected as vice president of the federation and you know, and being more involved in, in helping me and supporting me um, in, in, in how we take the organization forward. Do you have a sense of where we're at now as an organization and where we're, where we're heading? You know, what are your thoughts on, on what your hope for, hopes are for the next three, four years of, 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 of the Cold Chain Federation as an organization? I think the last couple of years and, uh, you know, the profile of the Cold Chain Federation, uh, a lot of it, in fairness, through yours and Tim's work, as we saw the importance of the food supply chain during during the COVID pandemic, we've become um, synonymous with a, a quick and knowledgeable answer to questions that, that go into the public domain. And, and keeping that and retaining that is, is absolutely paramount. I think that's paramount for us making change with government, but I think it's also paramount for keeping um, the value and the advocacy of our members. Um, I think that the, the Cold Chain Federation has got exceptionally good, whether they're, they're podcasts or you know online meetings, discussions of getting quick information and in, in imparted to our members. I'm... I'm really passionate about making sure that we keep relevant, uh, that we don't pick battles with the government that we can't win, or there are other organisations um, that are in that corner, and making sure that, particularly in relation to climate change, both buildings and transport particularly, we are um, helping our members understand what what they can do, what improvements they can make, both for their responsible business agenda, but also for their bottom line. Thank you, Paul, for that. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for taking part in the conversation. And um, I'm really grateful to you for your support in the last 
three years, and I'm really looking forward to the next few years that we can we can deliver together. Thanks very much for joining the Cold Chain it's Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Shane. I'm always reassured when I have conversations like this about how well served we are as an industry with thoughtful leaders. Paul being um, just one of the board members that I rely on day in, day out to help me to be oriented in the right direction when it comes to being an advocate for this industry. Paul's going to be one of our speakers on the panel at Cold Chain Live in a couple of weeks' time. So um, you get to judge for yourself if you're, if, you've got, if you're lucky enough to have a ticket, one of the hottest tickets in town. Um, more podcasts coming up soon. I'm very excited that I have already got in the can a recording of a conversation I had with Paul Wilkinson, who's the keynote speaker at Cold Chain Live and the president of Movianto UK, telling the story, the fascinating and awe-inspiring story of the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine and um, many other conversations planned between now and the end of the year. Um, if you haven't yet, why not subscribe to the Cold Chain podcast? You can subscribe on Apple, you can subscribe on Google, you can subscribe via the Audio Boom uh, website. Um, and why not go on and leave a review as well? If you leave a review, that makes me feel good um, and helps me to increase the visibility of the podcast to others in our industry. Um, thanks as ever. Um, I hope you have had a good August time and things are going well in your business. And I look forward to talking to you soon.